So as we move through 1 John, looking at his various challenges to walk a certain way, to pursue a certain path of life, there have been some things that have been presented to us, some things that he has called us to that are just downright challenging in terms of walking in the truth, walking in the light, walking with discernment, things that when you look at them and when we consider them and how often we fail in them, to hear them once again can sometimes be a, uh, a cost. That is, we hear the challenge. We know how many times we failed in those elements, those areas before. And so when we hear the challenge again, we're like, I'm just not sure I can do that. I've tried before. I've failed before. I'm tired. Or I'm afraid. Or some other negative feeling or motivation sets in. And I get the sense in reading the letter that John has written here that he kind of senses that. That he knows he's laid it on pretty heavily to this congregation that he's writing this letter to. And he realizes through the leading of the Holy Spirit, of course, that it's probably time in this letter to to give them a little hope in terms of the challenges that he's been presenting to them. And so what he does at this portion of the letter that, that we're going to be looking at today in chapter 4, verses 7 through 18, is he stops and basically does a, a discourse on the love of God, what it's like. And I'm convinced that why John is doing this is he wants us to walk not with despondency or fear or, or doubts, but with confidence. He wants us to pursue the challenges that he's given us previously, the challenges that he will continue with after this. He wants us to pursue those with a confidence, a, a, a mindset that says, you know what, I may not succeed every time, but I'm going to give it a go. Because God loves me. And in knowing God's love, I can move forward. Now it's important as we start to talk about God's love and as we, we look at this passage this morning that we understand exactly what we're talking about. Because as I mentioned before, our culture has replaced love with sentimentality. We've taken the concept of love and we've weakened it. We've lessened it. We've turned it into something that it was never really intended to express. Let me just read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to you. It's a well-known passage where Paul is dealing with the issue of division in the church. The church there in Corinth was struggling over uh, various issues, struggling with the, the idea that, that some were better than others because they had different spiritual gifts and that sort of thing. And, and he's trying to bring them to unity, and so he defines love for them, and this is how he defines it. He says, love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's a powerful reality. When you, when you pile all of those things 
on top of each other, you, you come away with something that is significant, something that's meaningful, something that motivates, something that helps, something that is robbed of its power when we turn it into sentiment. What do I mean by love versus sentiment? Well, in sentiment, feelings ring. Whereas in love, justice reigns. In sentiment, you're self-focused. How does that person make me feel? How does this reality, how does this situation, how does this circumstance make me feel? In love, you're other-focused. In sentiment, you're about receiving. In love, you're about giving. In sentiment, you're engaging just the individual. In love, you're engaging the whole system that affects that individual. In sentiment, you're dealing with non-reality. You're, you're idealizing that person or you're idealizing the situation and you end up being disappointed ultimately. But with love, you're dealing with reality. And all the difficulties, all the hardships, all the pain that may be involved in the act in the relationship that you're pursuing. And so when you realize that distinction and you start to understand that God loves us, as we're going to read here in just a moment, you start to see how other-centered God's love is and how that can grant us confidence, how that can help us to, to walk with a renewed focus and a re renewed interest because we're not driven by a fear of what God might do. We're driven by a confidence in the love that he's revealed to us. So let's look at verse 7 and following of chapter 4. As John continues his instruction to the church here. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love has re was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete sure with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love instead perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment so the one who fears is not mature or complete in love let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for not just the comfort that it brings us, not just the encouragement that it brings us, but also for the challenges. But you love us right where we're at. 
but you also love us enough to help us to grow and to become more than we presently are. Lord, I, I pray that you would be with us now as we look at this passage, as we look at your love. Help us to truly begin to understand what it is you've done for us, what it is you continue to do in us. Use this time for your glory and for your purpose. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So John ends this section, this comment, with the fact that perfect love casts away fear, and that fear involves punishment, but the one who fears is not complete in love. That is, we are not truly walked in, appreciated, come to understand the love of God. And so let's look back through this passage to see what John has to say about the love of God that, that will help us in our own walk and in our own path, in our own journey. He says, first of all, there in verse 9, that God's love is rich. It, it, it's thorough. It, it's magnificent. He says, God sent His only Son into the world. Now, as I think about my love for my wife or my love for my kids or my love for you all as a congregation. I, I generally, generally, not perfectly, try and express that by giving you my best. Okay. Not slacking off, not, not trying to just kind of skirt by, not trying to just kind of ease my way through life, but by generally, genuinely giving my best to you, the people that I love. But my very best, the absolute best I could do, pales in comparison to what God has done for us. doesn't even come close. He sent his son, who was beyond the very best. He, he was beyond anything we can conceive of in terms of power, majesty, glory, and all of that. He laid aside to come and dwell amongst us. And he did that while we were still enemies, Paul tells us in Romans. While we were still at odds with God. Now again, I want you to think about your own relationships and your own commitment to love others. There are times when it becomes just really hard to love other people, isn't it? Aren't there times when you're just like, you know what? I promised to love you, so I'm going to love you. But man, right now it is hard. It is hard. And that's when perhaps they've disappointed us or perhaps they just have a different viewpoint than us and they're stubbornly holding on to it, something along those lines. Consider the fact that we were not just, we didn't just have a different viewpoint than God. We didn't just uh, you know, make a, a little mistake here or there. We were in complete opposition to him completely at odds with his will, completely determined and driven to go a different direction, to go in a direction that expressed that he's unworthy, to express that he's not who he says he is, to go in a direction that says that, that we know better than him. And yet, in the midst of all that, he sent his son to die. When I say love is other-focused, that's prime example of that. God was other-focused in sending His Son. His love, second, 
is unconditional. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that that he just lets us do whatever we want and we're good with? No, that's sentimentality. Love is driven by justice. Love is driven by setting things right. But it's unconditional in the sense that he didn't receive anything from us and it wasn't dependent upon anything we did that he sent it out, that he expressed it. John says that clearly in verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atonement sacrifice. God's love for us was not motivated or driven by what he might get from us. It's important that we understand this. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He is fully self-contained in and of himself in terms of his ability to function, in terms of his ability to, to experience the fullness of joy and everything else. He was, before creation even happened, he was fine. He was just fine. He was better than fine. He didn't need us. But he wants us. Do you grasp what a big difference that is in terms of understanding how amazing his love is? Because, again, all we can do is use ourselves as comparisons, but a lot of times when we especially when we start with a relationship, but even beyond that, when we express love, a lot of times we do so with this desire for, for receiving it back. Okay. I, I love you. And we, when you say those words for the first time to somebody, what are you really hoping they say back? Not, oh, that's nice. Okay. You're really hoping the first time you say that to somebody, that they say, I love you too. And if you don't hear that, let's be honest, your heart sinks just a little, sometimes just a lot. Okay. No matter how mature we are, no matter how selfless our love may be from a human standpoint, we expect it to be returned. That's, that's our desire in expressing it. But God's love really is unconditional. He, he spreads it out. He gave his son to the world knowing that many, most, would not reciprocate. He still sent his son. That's love. And to have that kind of love, to have that sort of relationship where he's not depending upon us, it's very liberating in terms of how we live our life. We don't live under fear of punishment. We live under the confidence of love. If I fail, he's not going to love me any less. If I succeed, he's not going to love me anymore. So what? I can just be who he created me to be, knowing that the love I'm receiving is more than I could possibly ever imagine or draw on in my entire life. Third, John tells us that his love grants us power. Verse 13, he says, In the love that he's given us, he has given us his spirit. And throughout the scriptures, whenever you see the spirit, Old Testament, New Testament, the presence of the spirit means the presence of power. 
the presence to, to do something beyond what you're capable of doing on your own. The prophet Ezekiel was called to, to preach and proclaim in very perilous times, a very difficult situation. He is in exile with the Israelites. They're looking at him like, you're a prophet? How can you be a prophet when you're on unclean soil just like we are? What, what do you mean? I, I think God's probably abandoned us. And Ezekiel, realizing that, he uses the term to refer to himself over and over again, son of man. Because I'm just the son of man. And what he means by that is I'm just frail. I, I, I'm really un, I'm not up to this task, God. I'm really not up to this job. Because what you're asking me to do is so much bigger than what I'm capable of. And God says, here's my spirit. And the image that he draws there in the first couple chapters is that the spirit entered him and he stood up. Ezekiel stood up from being prostrate. Now capable of proclaiming the word. The word that God had given him. And that's the image that we see throughout Scripture whenever the Spirit is present. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand. When Jesus made that statement that still at times puzzles me, it's better that I go away. No, Jesus, I don't want you to go away. Stay here. Answer my questions. Direct me. Have somebody that I can be somebody that I can just go to when I have issues. Somebody I can meet with face to face. Jesus said, no, it's better that I go away. Why? So that the Spirit can come, he says. Why? Because the Spirit provides that internal power to live, to function, to operate, to hear from God, to understand God's will and God's desires, to interpret his word. The Spirit does all of these things. There's power in the presence of God dwelling within us. That's love. As a parent, our love for our children drives us to try and empower them. And what has happened too often is that, again, sentimentality has creeped in. And we become so protective of our children that, that we're doing just the opposite of empowering them. We're making all of these things, we're, we're making their, their path so smooth, they don't know what it means to get back up when you've fallen. That's not love. That's sentimentality. That's us focused. Why? Because it makes us feel better to do that for our kids. But God doesn't make our path straight in the sense of, well, you're never going to fall. You're never going to stumble. No difficulties are going to come your way. Anybody who preaches that is preaching a false gospel. God makes our path straight in the sense that he directs us, he guides us, he tells us where we need to go and where we need to be and what we need to be about as we're facing the hardships. Consider it pure joy when you consider, when you encounter all sorts of diverse trials, Scripture tells us. Why? Because it's in those times that the love of God is made manifest, the power of God is made clear in our lives and in our experience. It's in those times that the love becomes, as John refers to it here, mature or complete, perfected. 
And all of this occurs. Love is able to do all of these things because his love provides deliverance. Verse 17. In this love is made complete, perfect, mature with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Confidence for the day of judgment. I find it fascinating the vast difference between how Scripture describes that great day of Christ's return and how we sometimes deal with it. When we talk about the great hope that He's returning and we talk about this and we sing the songs and oh, what a glorious day it's going to be when we all get to heaven. We sing those songs. But I don't know anybody, and you may be the exception, so you can correct me afterwards. But I don't know anybody who, when you start talking about the return of Christ, you start talking about the events and everything that's surrounding that, who doesn't get just a tinge of fear in their heart. Doesn't start to experience just a little bit of question about the issue. People that have been believers for years sometimes struggle with the idea, am I ready? You get the right preacher up here, they can manipulate us into fearing our next breath, even though we've been believers for decades. That's just the exact opposite of what that promise, what that hope is supposed to instill in believers. God's love for us is intended to make us able to walk with confidence. Why? Because He's present with us. And that's really the heart of the message. How many times in Scripture do we see that promise? I'm with you. And I think we diminish that promise because we don't understand the full implications of what it means. If God is with us, then he's providing this wealth of understanding the world and understanding our place. If God is with us, he's providing us the freedom to do what we need to do. He's providing us the power to do what we've been called to do. If God is with us, he's providing deliverance that's beyond anything we can believe or accept. But here's the truth. That love cannot be forced on us. It'll not be forced on us. If it were, it wouldn't be love. Love does not insist on its own way. Why did God create knowing that the world was going to turn out the way it is? Why has he done these things? Because he is the perfect embodiment of love. He's not seeking his own way, but he's seeking to pour out that love to creation. And so he invites us. And it's always been an invitation to creation. Genesis 1, let there be, let there be, let there be. 
it's, it's, a, it's evocative. It's, it's an invitation for creation to participate in the command that he's just given. And in that pre-fallen state, creation obeys joyfully. But since the fall, he's invited and we've resisted. But our resistance is met with his resolve to see us rescued, to see us back in relationship. And so he continues to invite. He continues to reach out. He continues to reveal his love to the point of sending his son to die on the cross so that we might see and finally understand what that love looks like. And that perfect love casts out fear and allows us to walk with a newness of life. And so he invites us to it. He invites us to respond. He invites us to experience a reality where justice reigns, a reality where we're focused on others, a reality where we're giving, a reality where we're engaging whole systems and not just individuals, a reality where we're facing reality and not some idealized makeup in our head. And he's saying in the midst of all of that, I will give you power. it's up to us to respond. It's up to us to accept that gift. It's up to us as His Spirit enlivens and encourages and directs to look beyond ourselves to Him and to see in Him victory. This morning, as a believer, are you walking with confidence or are you walking in fear? Are you walking with your head up, recognizing that God's with you, or are you walking around fearful and with your head down and unwilling to see the world around you because you're afraid of what you might encounter there? God has called us to be salt and light, but you can't be salt and light if your head's down, fearfully avoiding confronting reality. In Him, we have the freedom to indeed walk with confidence. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you prayed a prayer once, a t- once upon a time or did some things and people told you you were now a Christian, but in your heart you really know, you know what? I never had a relationship with God. I never had a relationship that was shaping me, molding me, driving me, directing me, encouraging me. If that's your circumstance here today, as the Spirit draws, be responsive to that. But more than anything else this morning, be obedient to God's leadership. Because you know that leadership is motivated, is driven, is directed by love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for each person here. God, I pray that there's someone here this morning who's 
just been struggling, feeling overwhelmed, feeling impotent and unable to just do life. God, I pray that you would just reveal your love and your power to them in a way that enlivens them and encourages them. Pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not have a relationship with you, that you would draw them, that they would respond in faith. I pray, Lord, for myself and my fellow believers that we would find confidence in your love, confidence to see a world that desperately needs to know who you are, confidence that drives us to share it. Use this time for your glory, Lord, for your purposes. In Christ's name I pray.